Heart. You gotta have heart. Miles and miles of heart. What is heart? Heart is running through a return man when the game is on the line. Heart is giving everything you have in practice, day after day. Heart is finding the strength to run down the field one more time when you can barely breathe. The heart in me pumps Husker Red. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Five Heart Podcast, brought to you by Coronation.com, hosted on JitteryMonkey.com, part of the Jittery Monkey family of podcasts. My name is Greg Mahachko. Joining me, as always, world-renowned X's and O's guy, Hoss Reuter. Hoss, how you doing, buddy? Oh, I'm uh, trying not to let my head get too inflated with the kind words. Well, get used to it. I mean, you should be used to it. Um, well, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's a good thing that I'm not much taller than 5'10", because if I was, I'd be one cocky son of a gun. <laughs> uh, it's been just a few days since we talked, buddy. How, how's your week been? Not bad. Just, uh, you know, busy writing lesson plans for my teaching practicum, breaking down film, and uh, getting packed and ready to head out for Evanston on Friday afternoon. And uh, you're, we are going to be in the same state. Uh, we've made no secret here on the show that, uh, of course, I live uh, in in the southern portion of Illinois, much closer to St. Louis than Chicago, but uh, which means that unfortunately we're not going to be able to get together, hang out, have a good time, share a beer, or anything like that. But we have a regional expert joining us uh, this time, who by the end of our conversation, I hope <clears throat> can guide you to places where they they uh, uh, sell fine beers uh, much better than the Coors Banquet you swear by. And uh, some fine, authentic Chicago food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rub it in. Uh, so with that, we bring in our uh, guest from uh, InsideNU.com, which is, of course, uh, Northwestern's SB Nation site, Noah Kaufman. Noah, welcome to the show. Welcome to the Five Heart Podcast. Thank you. Uh, I'm not sure I can give you guys too much help on the beers because I'm not legally allowed to drink. But if you if you really want some good ones, my, da- my dad knows some of the places. I, I, I know a little bit about it through him. But I don't know if I can give you too much help in the on the alcohol front well i like how you you did throw the i don't know disclaimer may not be the right word but you said legally yeah legally legally so you know i'm in college you know that's yeah. how it goes we we you pops every once in a while we've all been there <clears throat> uh so um we'll talk we'll talk food we'll talk uh, uh sites and and uh restaurants at the end but uh coming into this game uh northwestern is two and three they have uh, wins over uh, some, you know, uh, Big Ten teams. They opened up uh, the season on August 30th with a win against uh, Purdue on the road, winning that one 31-27. Uh, and then just last week on October uh, 6th, beating uh, Michigan State, who was ranked 20th at the time on the road, uh, 29-19. Have a few losses in there. One, uh, uh we would say two mutual opponents, but uh, Nebraska didn't really get the opportunity to play Akron and then uh, losing at home to number 14, Michigan, in a much closer, much more competitive game than uh, Nebraska lost to uh, the Wolverines in the big house. Um, but, no, as we look at, you know, the five games into the season now, kind of have an idea uh, or, or, you know, we hope to have an idea of, of what to expect from your team. What What is uh, – What's it like being a Northwestern fan right now in in the sense that, I, I have to clarify because I'm not, you know, the, the, 
we are always very courteous on the Five Heart Podcast. We never we never run anybody down. But from from the stance of you're two and three, you do have two league wins, um, and and really, aside from a, a two score loss to Duke, you you've been in every ball game uh, that that you've you know played. What what's the general uh, temperament or or atmosphere surrounding the Wildcat uh, program and, and and fans? It's pretty strange right now. I, I characterize it as cautiously optimistic, although generally I think optimistic isn't exactly the right word. I mean, in, I'd, like to, I'd like to think that at least the inside and you boards are much more balanced um, in terms of opinion than most typical message boards are about fans. And people seem relatively optimistic. I mean, they got, they got Nebraska and Rutgers in back-to-back weeks. Not that either of those are shoe-in wins, obviously. But if you win those two, all of a sudden – uh, Wisconsin's coming to Evanston, and you're you're four and one in Big Ten play. So I mean, they're on the precipice of back to being feeling good about the season. I mean, you mentioned those two Big Ten wins. That that's the stated goal of this program is to win the Big Ten West, even despite the you mean I mean non conference struggles notwithstanding. But at the same time, you can't just forget a loss like that Akron loss a couple weeks ago. So it's a strange kind of feeling, you know. The Akron loss is still in everybody's minds, but at the same time, it's a team with a chance to make some noise. What was it since? Uh you know, famously or perhaps infamously, Nebraska didn't get the opportunity to play Akron in that opening week. What, oh, yeah. What is it about that loss in particular? You know, 39-34, to 34, what stands out about or what, what sticks in the craw of uh, Northwestern fans about that game? Well, a couple things, really, for the most part. I mean, first of all, you're up 21-3 to three at halftime on a MAC opponent. There's no way you should ever lose that game. It doesn't matter who, which big, big Ten team you are. There's no way you should lose a game after you're up 21-3 to three on a MAC opponent. But ju- not, not just that, but, I mean, a lot of bad luck. But at the same time, just the turnovers in the second half. I mean, they had three defensive touchdowns, did Akron, in, sec- in the second half. Outscored Northwestern in the second half while Northwestern was on offense with those three defensive touchdowns. So, you know, a lot of it was certainly bad luck, but it's bad plays that put them in that situation. And, you know, that was the defense's worst game of the year, probably their worst game of the last three years, I want to say, at least the last two years. Um, and so that's also troubling, although they seem to have rebounded since then. So both the defense struggling and then just just turnovers kill you. And of course, you know when you're the main thing is it doesn't really matter how it happened when you're up 18 at the half on a on a MAC team and you lose that game, you're just it's just bad. You know, there's no other way to put it. We we talk about mutual opponents and and uh, you know of course both of us have uh, you know both both teams not us individually but both teams have played uh, <laughs> uh, you know Purdue and Michigan. And of course, uh, as you mentioned, uh, you know Nebraska just saw Wisconsin. You get them in a couple of weeks. Um, I want to talk. I want to talk Purdue because I know that it, it was a win, but it was a sloppy game all around, which is kind of you know to be expected in week one. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, it's not only week one, but it's a Thursday week one game, which is the first time that Northwestern's ever done that. Obviously, I mean, they just started doing that in a more widespread way. And it's a Big Ten opponent, so, you know, things are always going to be sloppy. But I think Northwestern actually played pretty well considering, you know, a couple turnovers, but they avoided turning the ball over for the most part, especially in key situations. You know, they executed in the red zone in the first half. The second half, their offense kind of disappeared. That's kind of been the theme of the start of this season, although they flipped it on its head a little bit against Michigan State last week. Um, But the offense couldn't really get going in the second half, and the defense picked them up. You know, Rondale Moore burned them in the first half. Um, but after that, you know, he was pretty quiet in the second half and so was Purdue's offense. So, you know, with David Blau coming in, Sindelar started that game. Remember, um, that was a long time ago, 
But with David Blau coming in, he threw for plenty of yards, but just couldn't get the points that he needed. I think Northwestern outplayed Purdue, even though it was a sloppy game, as you mentioned. And for the first game of the season, for a conference game in the first game of the season, I think it's pretty much as good as could reasonably reasonably be expected, even if you there were definitely some weak spots. So, Noah, in that game against Purdue, Northwestern was shuffling between Clayton Thorson and TJ Green. Have they is Northwestern still going with the two quarterback rotation or have they settled in to just no. one starter with Thorson? Yeah, it's 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 all Thorson. Uh, Michigan and Michigan State, Thorson played the entire game. It was, it, you know, it was kind of a new approach, actually, in terms of working him back from his ACL tear, which he suffered in the bowl game last year. Once, they thought he was ready to play, but they wanted to give his knee time to adjust to in-play uh, stuff, which they didn't really explain to anybody before the season started, but that's apparently what they were doing, as they sort of eased Thorson into more and more drives of the first over the first uh, three weeks, and then come time for Michigan, he played the whole day after. Going to see TJ Green barring you know an unfortunate injury. Speaking of that Michigan game, Northwestern was up seventeen to three, correct at one point. Uh, seventeen nothing. Seventeen nothing. That was during our awful penalty flag laden game against Purdue. Oh, um, what what ultimately cost that cost North? Yeah, I can't talk today. Cost Northwestern that game against Michigan. Where is there any weakness? offensively, defensively, where Michigan was able to find their footing and get back into the game? Yeah, it was the offensive line. I mean, oh. look, anybody anybody watching that game was pretty confident that Michigan was going to come back and maybe not necessarily win, but it was going to be close. Northwestern was gonna, wasn't going to hold a big lead. Um, but I think most Northwestern, fan, most Northwestern fans pardon me, thought that they, they were probably going to lose. And the, reason, the main reason they lost is because of the offensive line. Six sacks for Michigan in that game, all in the second half, and five were drive enders. So that's just, you know, of course that Michigan front is very talented um, with Chase Winovich and Rashawn Gary. Gary, who didn't really show up much in that game, it was mostly Winovich who had two sacks and three tackles for loss, I think. Um, but it was the offensive line, just the inability to block on third down um, and just keeping the team behind the sticks. There were a couple penalties that were bad. Um, and yeah, and Thorson, Thorson has always been a little bit sack prone. He stands in the pocket for a little bit too long. So a couple of those sacks were on him. There's one or maybe one cover, coverage sack, too. But for the most part, the offensive line struggled. The running game didn't get off the ground in the second half either. Uh, that leads me to my the second question about your most recent game about Michigan State. Northwestern only rushed for eight yards against the Spartans. And I know Michigan State has a pretty highly ranked rushing defense, but in your opinion, was that more of a function of Michigan State's rushing defense or Northwestern's woes on the offensive line? Half and half, I'd say. Okay. Um, and less the offensive line than the running backs. Uh, I don't know how much you guys know about the team, but Jeremy Larkin, who was the number one running back after Justin Jackson uh, left for the NFL, um, he was diagnosed with cervical stenosis after the Akron game That's and right. had to medically retire. So not only do you see the number one, you know, Northwestern loves, especially in the Fitzgerald era, they love their bell cow backs. Lar- Jeremy Larkin was going to get to probably 1,000, maybe even 1,500 yards if he continued on the pace he was on. He was just going to keep on getting the ball because he was clearly the best this team had to offer. With him out, they're kind of cycling through guys. You know, John Moten is the nominal backup. He didn't get a carry against Michigan State. You got Drake Anderson and Isaiah Bowser, two rookies. I mean, two freshmen, sorry. Um, I'm in kind of pro sports mode, but two freshmen, um, two true freshmen who have both shown flashes, but have also both struggled the way the true freshmen do. And Anderson was mainly the guy against Michigan State. He didn't really get off the ground. Um, Jesse Brown would be the backup to Moten normally. He's injured, apparently. 
I haven't had any official word on that, but you would think that he'd be playing as one of the only non-freshman running backs currently on this team. And uh, he hasn't seen the field at all since the beginning of last year. So this is a team that just is depleted at running back and doesn't have anybody who can make plays with the ball. And the offensive line is not elite run blocking, but they're certainly middle of the road. Um, <sighs> probably no worse than that. So I think for the most part, it's a function of bad running backs combined with a mediocre offensive line. And then, of course, you know, nobody's going to have nobody's going to get you as bad as that Michigan State front is going to get you running the ball. Yeah, bad running backs and bad old line play. We we saw that last year after Trey Bryant got hurt and uh, it wasn't pretty. Uh, I just wanted to ask because I got so sick and tired of seeing, you know, guys like Benrick Mark and Justin Jackson year after year after year in the Nebraska Northwestern series. Who Justin Jackson latch on with in the NFL? He is, in, he is uh, on the Chargers right now. He just got named to the active roster a couple weeks ago, actually. Um, he hasn't, I don't think he's gotten an official touch yet. He has not gotten an official touch. My roommate is a Chargers fan, so I'm checking with him as I uh, recite these stats. But, he, yeah, he has not gotten an official touch, but he is on the active roster. He was a uh, seventh rounder, and he's latched down with them. So That's a guy that would have looked really good in a Nebraska uniform. And I know That's we're cool. recruiting him out of Texas, but uh, we offered him as a DB instead of a running back. And, he went to Northwestern. And he, he was a tough runner. He he fit that zone pin and pull scheme that Mick McCall yeah. runs perfectly, Absolutely. and he he was special. Like I and said, would have really liked to see him in Lincoln. And sorry to cut you off there, but that's oh, kind no, of that's kind of part of the problem. Is you you mentioned that zone pin and pull scheme? You know, if you guys watch Northwestern football, they only ever run two runs. It's the inside uh-huh. zone or the outside zone. You know. They're not doing anything else. They don't They don't really do power runs except for on the goal line. Otherwise, it's the inside zone or the outside zone every single time. And it's not that these running backs don't have the patience to pull it off. But first of all, they're, sm- they're, they're smaller than Justin Jackson, less shifty than Justin Jackson. Um, and it just can't make just can't make guys miss at the line the way you need to in those zone runs because defenders are going to be at the line, you know, when it's those slow-developing run plays, and they just can't quite make guys miss. One guy I forgot to mention – is Solomon Vault, who started his career as a running back, went back to a receiver and return man, and is now back after missing a year and a half as a running back. He actually led the team in carries last week. I'm just not used to thinking of, of him as a running back. So he's more of a small, shifty guy who can make plays with the ball but hasn't had much running back experience. No, we've talked about some of the key players you know, in the backfield. Um, let's talk about the defensive side of the ball. Who would Nebraska fans be smart to be keeping their eyes on uh, when Nebraska's on offense, you know, on the defensive side for Northwestern? So a couple of guys have really stood out to me this year. So one in terms of stats and one completely the opposite. So the two guys kind of coming out uh, coming out years, I mean, I think Joe Gaziano is the best player on this defense, but he was great last year. He's going to be great again this year so far. The two guys that have stood out to me this season is Blake Gallagher and um, Jordan Thompson. So Blake Gallagher is the outside linebacker. This is a Northwestern team. You know about Patty Fisher, uh, All-Big Ten pick last year. He's actually kind of scuffled to start the season. And Nate Hall, who was also an All-Big Ten team player last year, is injured right now. We're not sure if he's going to be able to make it back uh, in time for the Nebraska game, although I'd bet probably not. He's working. He, was, he worked his way back from an ACL tear last season and it looked good to start the year, but now injured again. So the guy who's left... Blake Gallagher, he stepped into his starting role this year to replace Brett Walsh, the outgoing outside linebacker, and he's been phenomenal. Led the team in tackles against both Michigan State and Michigan. He's really showing up as a true sophomore, making plays. He's a little bit undersized for a linebacker, um, but he can really get in there and hit. He know he has a nose to the ball. You know, it's kind of a cliche thing to say, but he seems to always be around the ball, um, and he just makes tackles. He, do, he just doesn't seem to miss any. 
uh, so far. He hits hard and doesn't miss tackles, and that's what you need in a good linebacker. And then inside, the guy who's opening those holes for him to get through, Jordan Thompson, interior defensive lineman, actually didn't even record a stat last week against Michigan State, but was still Pro Football Focus's highest-rated player of the game. And that's just because he commands double team after double team. He bursts into the line of scrimmage. He had, he had a huge hand in a couple of key fourth down plays, stopping Michigan on runs by blowing up the middle of that line. He's kind of replaced Tyler Lancaster, who graduated last season and was the guy who commanded those double teams from Northwestern last year. It didn't really seem like he could do it. Thompson's a little bit smaller than Lancaster, a little bit more of a finesse guy usually, but he's really been blowing things up. Has a sack and a half on the season, I believe. Um, so he can rush the passer a little bit as well from that interior defensive line position. But mainly, man, he can just he can just blow up that run, and that was a place where Northwestern was really looking for answers after the departure of Lancaster. So speaking of Northwestern linebackers, uh, how's Patty Fisher so far this season? I mean, that's he's an hombre, he's a dude, and um, seems like Northwestern always has linebackers going back to guys like Anthony Walker, uh, who just make you know any Nebraska Northwestern game tough sledding for the Nebraska offense. So as I mentioned, he's scuffling a little bit more. I think it's partially, though, because defenses are keying on him. That's part of what's bringing up Gallagher as well. You know, last season, nobody knew about him. This is a redshirt freshman coming out of Katy, Texas, where he was a low three-star. You know, people didn't—he might have even been a two-star. I'm not sure. Um, where people, people didn't know about Patty Fisher. This season, everybody knows about Patty. So pe- teams are really keying on him, trying to take him out of the equation. Uh, Northwest really struggled against RPOs early on this season, mostly because teams were making him the read man. He was really struggling with that. Uh, in terms of covering routes over the middle in that situation and not falling for the run. Um, but he's been better these last couple of weeks, still missing a few more tackles than you'd prefer. But again, he's mostly been taken out of the stat sheet because teams are keying on him. So he's not, he's not going to be as big of an impact in the game um, as, he, as he was in most games last year. Um, but he's still a guy that, de- that offenses are worrying about, and that frees up space for other guys. Did you say that he was from KD, Texas? Yeah. Man, name like Patty Fisher. He sounds like he should be a next-door neighbor of the Gallagher's on Shameless. Yeah. Yeah. We had, there's actually two guys from Katy on this defense, but Travis Willick is out injured. Yeah, yeah. A, lot, a lot of good talent comes out of Katy, Texas. That's a Texas 5A powerhouse. Yep. Talk to me a little bit from, you know, your point of view or Northwestern's point of view about this Nebraska team that, is 0-5, we know where we stand, I mean, in, in the you know the Big 12 rankings at the moment, but it's a team that, at least offensively, things are clicking uh, to the tune of, you know, over 500 yards of offense last week at Wisconsin. What, what, what is, you know, kind of give, give us a, you know, you've got your thumb on the pulse of, of uh, Northwestern fandom far more than we do. What, what's, What's what's their mentality going into Saturday's game? Northwestern fans are worrying about Nebraska. That's for sure. I can't tell you how many times I saw the words "trap game" in the comments after the win against Michigan State. Um, the people are people know that this Nebraska team is better than its record. Had a couple of bad breaks. Um, again, as you mentioned, the offense is rolling. It's almost better for Northwestern that the strengths and weaknesses kind of match up well for us um, in terms of. The defense is just now starting to kind of come into its own on Northwestern side. So you do feel as though they can better contain a guy like Martinez than they would have in the past. This is a Northwestern team that's historically struggled with running quarterbacks, but really contained Brian Lewerke. And Shea Patterson kind of got going in the fourth quarter. Um, But you feel a little bit better 
about containing those mobile guys. But again, this Nebraska, you know, this Nebraska team is definitely trouble for a team like Northwestern. Pat Fitzgerald always seems to struggle in these home games where his team is favored. This Northwestern Nebraska matchup, I mean, uh, I don't, I don't think Northwestern's ever beaten Nebraska at home. Is that right? At least, at least since Nebraska joined the Big Ten, I might be wrong about that. They definitely haven't in the last ten years. Um, Correct. Yeah. So fans are definitely worried. I mean, the red, the red is going to show up. You know, it's going to be. I'm going to be at Ryan Field. Uh, you're, you guys, or at least one of you guys, going to be there, right? There, there's going to be yep. plenty of Nebraska fans along with you. We we both know that. So you know. If, if Nebraska gets going early on, it's going to be a tough tide for Northwestern to, to, to turn. I certainly am a little bit concerned about it. Yeah, I, it's such a strange series with, you know, Nebraska being undefeated, winning in 12, 14, and 16 in Evanston, but only winning one home game in the series against Northwestern, the 2013 Hail Mary yeah. game. That I was at that game. Oh, that was one of the strangest game. games I've ever been at. What a crazy game. Yeah, I mean, you guys were on pace in that first quarter to rush for like 400 freaking yards. I mean, we had no answer for Kane Coulter. You guys were running the oh, yeah. diamond formation, just gashing us on the ground. Strange game. You know, I kind of, when Jordan Westerkamp caught that touchdown at the end, I just kind of took him, it took a moment to kind of process it because it was like, man, it's such a disappointing win. And then I was kind of like, you know, how often does your team win on a Hail Mary? Just go celebrate. I can tell you it was a much more disappointing loss. So that's for sure. Well, you know, what's funny is a couple of years later, I was remarking to a friend of mine. I was like, you know, we've experienced what it's like to win on a Hail Mary. And it's ridiculous. You know, just that shock. I was like, I wonder what it's like to lose on one. And the day I said that to him was actually the day that Nebraska lost to BYU. Oh. On the Hail Mary. So I really need to learn how to shut my mouth. <laughs> and uh, that was. I totally remember I, that. I learned what it's like. You sit there in stunned silence for about 30 seconds. Yeah. It, it sucks. I was angrier than normal, too, because I don't know how much you remember about the actual play, but it was tipped up in the air when it absolutely should not have been. That's why Wester Camp caught it in the back there. Game trailing like, around. and It was yeah. like it was like eight Northwestern defenders on three Nebraska receivers, and they tipped it up in the air. And Westerkamp was the last guy when he should never have been behind anybody. It was just, it was so bad. But yeah, I remember that. I remember that BYU Hail Mary. That was Mangum, right? At the start of his career. Yeah. And it seems like he's been there for about 20 years yeah. now. Yeah. I turned on a BYU game, the BYU Wisconsin game a few weeks ago after we lost to Troy. And I'm sitting there pissed off about the Troy loss. And I see Tanner Mangum. And I'm just like, God, that's just insult to injury. You know, yeah. we just lost a game. I turn on the TV. I see player who you know gutted nebraska in one of the worst fashions that i can remember safe to say i'm not a big fan of byu yeah that's fair i'm feeling good about them though for beating wisconsin taking them down a peg oh absolutely anytime you know it'd it'd be nice if we could finally get over on wisconsin but uh anytime wisconsin loses i'm pretty happy all right noah let's as, as we teased at the uh onset of of the show Haas is going to be in uh, Chicago, in town for the game. And earlier when we talked and he, he revealed this news, I said, all right, when I was in Chicago, this is where I went for food, and I recommended Giordano's. Where, okay. What, what's, what are some good local haunts that, uh, that, that you can set my buddy up with for, for some good food? Well, if you're looking for pizza, um, you know, Giordano, if he's staying, he's staying in Chicago, Chicago, not in Evanston. Yeah, central downtown. Yeah, all right. So I'm actually from the city myself. Um, 
before coming up here for school. So um, if you're looking for pizza, you know, Giordano's, Gino's East, Lou Malnati's, those are all good options for deep dish. There's plenty of thin crust places too. Basically, if you see a pizza place, it's going to be pretty good. I've yet to see a local pizza place that I tried and didn't like. I, like I mean, I, for me, Chicago food-wise is not about the big-name places. This is just a personal thing. But, I, you know, I like an Italian beef slice of pizza, Chicago-style hot dog. You know, those are all things you can get at, like, little at street corner places. You know, going for an Italian beef at Al's or Portillo's. Either of those places are always good. I like Al's a little bit better personally. And then any Vienna beef stand, you get a Chicago-style hot dog. I'm feeling good about that. You know, that that's that's my type of food. But there's, I mean, there's just so much good food available. I just like to go for, you know, the classics, personally. Perfect. Uh, yeah, I mean, I... Food is food for me. I mean, that's why I always have about 10 pounds to work back off in the gym after football season ends. So I imagine I'll probably have both a Chicago-style hot dog and plenty of pizza while I'm there. Are there any uh, good places in Evanston to get breakfast before the game? Yeah, there's a couple There's a couple places for sure. So there's one place called Clark's, which is pretty close to campus. That's a pretty solid uh, breakfast place. My personal favorite is La Peep. Um, a lot more food. They really they have a they have a big menu over there. Um, definitely a Nebraska size menu, if you will. So <laughs> you go to La Peep, uh, that's close to campus as well. Uh, they'll 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 feed you a nice big plate. Oh, perfect! I big fan of a big breakfast. Noah, uh, we appreciate your time. Your your insight on uh, Northwestern Wildcat football and uh, and a little bit of a, a slice around town, so to speak. Uh, where can people find you on social media? I always like to give uh, you know like a, a Twitter account or things like that in case uh, you know our listeners want to you know follow you during the game and and uh, either converse, hear your side of things, or maybe do some friendly. And I always like to emphasize friendly uh, smack talk, uh, you know, joking around. Where can they find you on Twitter? So I'm usually tweeting from inside and new. If I'm tweeting during games, that's at inside and new. But my personal account, which is less for sports. Uh, is at Kaufman underscore Noah. So that's C-O-F-F-M-A-N underscore Noah. But again, if I'm tweeting during games, I'm mostly tweeting from the official account, which is at Inside NU. Well, there you have it. Uh, and and all these links will be available on the post, uh, everybody. So make sure that you head on over to coordination.com or jitterymonkey.com and uh, get all of these links, all of, uh, uh, you know, obviously Inside NU. I shouldn't have to spell that for you, the listener. If I do, I, I apologize. I don't remember, Greg. N stands for knowledge around here. Stands yeah. for what? Knowledge. <laughs> I know we have a big NU versus NU tip, so I don't know if uh, we're going to get into that or not. I'll I'll, uh, I'll go to my grave saying we're the NU, but you know, you I'm guys just are saying, you know, it's called University of Nebraska Lincoln. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I don't and... think I've ever referred to it as UNL outside of an academic context, but you know, honestly. Yeah. You got me cornered here on the semantics of it. So, you know, you have a hell of an argument. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. It's not a big deal. I just always think it's funny when people argue about that. We just need to have, we need to have a trophy for this weird Twilight Zone kind of rivalry. You know, weird oh, yeah. stuff happens in this game. It needs to be like a big NU, one side purple, one side red. Absolutely. You know, gets the name rights for a year. That'd be perfect. I would love that. I would love that. Let's get Scott Frost and Pat Fitzgerald on the horn, Greg. Absolutely. I will. Uh, uh, I'll have my people contact their people. Perfect. All right, Noah. Thank you very much uh, for your time, your insight, and uh, and we'll uh, we'll see how everything shakes out on Saturday. 
Yeah, thank you guys. It was a pleasure. And when we come back, uh, we'll be joined by our fearless leader. Although, Haas, I almost think we need to stop having John on because every time he's been on, we haven't won a game. But we're bringing him back, John Dam Johnston, by popular uh, request. And that's coming up after this on the Five Heart Podcast. Hi, this is Greg Mahochko, the host of Nerds United on the Jittery Monkey Podcast Network. And over the years that I've been running the Nerds United show, I've been fortunate enough to speak with many of my talented friends, both artists and writers, creators of comic books. But I've also spoken with some more recognizable names in comics and entertainment. Legendary artist Greg Land. Hey, we Greg's got to stick together. Writer Colin Bunn. Rock and Roll Hall of Famer and comic book creator DMC, Daryl McDaniels. The Flash of Yesteryear, and in more recent memory, Flash's dad, John Wesley Shipp, and a lot more. And I encourage you to subscribe to the Nerds United podcast on iTunes or Stitcher, or you can check it out anytime you want on JitteryMonkey.com. And as founder of the Jittery Monkey Podcast Network, I really do appreciate your support. When you share a podcast, you help get our little corner of the podcasting world out to even more people. So anytime you do that, you really don't know how much we appreciate it. So share away. John in Midtown, you're on the air. Son of a... Oh, hold on a second. I got to set my audio. <laughs> Never fails to disappoint. Okay, is that better? It was Perfect. never it was never bad in the first place, buddy. Uh, oh bullshit! <laughs> How's it going tonight, Chief? Oh, it's, this week sucked. Why? Well, why are huh? a little angry, aren't they? What's that? The winos are angry, aren't they? <laughs> God, no, they're not angry. They're just depressed. I would think that after after the second depressing. half, that they'd be, you know optimistic well yeah but it was that 88 yard run by taylor yeah that just you know yeah. i i they guess i i should feel as bad about it as i did <sighs> okay all right you okay guys, you guys want so, to get started so you got hold on we got it we got did it. we start we, did we start yet we haven't really technically officially started <laughs> okay but we can do that in three, two, one. Welcome back to the Five Heart Podcast and uh, joining us once again. Although, just before the break, John, you weren't with us. I, I said to Haas, maybe we don't want to have John on because we've had him on every week prior you know, to the game and we've lost them all. It means he's a witch. I, I'm wondering oh, if... I'm wondering my if, God, we're going to go there, aren't we? I mean... <laughs> Let's burn him. Not, not you know, not to quote uh, Michael Scott when I say this, but I'm not superstitious, but I am a little stitious. John, sorry, yeah, man. I, no, yeah. I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. I'll tell you this. You know what happened tonight? You know what happened tonight? What happened tonight? Uh, what happened tonight? We have we have a, a large dog named Esther. She's a white German Shepherd Lab mix, which means she's about a hundred pounds. I took her out to walk. And uh, in the dark, because, you know, it gets dark a lot earlier up here in the north. And, uh, you know, it's raining and it's miserable. And I usually wear a headlamp that has both a white and a red light. <laughs> That's how good the story is so far. Huh? And then uh, and I had the red lamp on. Right. So that way you can see beyond the, the lamp. You know what I mean? If you put a white 
light on, you can only see as far as the lamp will go. So you can't see into the distance. But as, right as Esther is done pooping and I picking and I'm in the process of picking up her her defecation, you know, because you don't leave poop in the neighbor's yards, especially from a huge dog. This white dog comes out of nowhere and I mean, it runs at us. Right. And it's it runs up to Esther and it starts running in circles around her like it's taunting her. OK, so the red, the red from my my lamp it reflects off this dog and it's completely startled me it's freaked me out and it looks up and of course the red lamp is reflecting off its eyeballs and i am so freaked out that i'm like is this real is this a hound from hell what is going on here i've never seen this dog before and i walk my dog all the time and it just it literally startled me so much it hurt my heart and and as we're walking down the rest of the path, and it's in a particularly dark area, this dog would run. It run off. And Esther, of course, is a huge dog. She gets excited, and she's running around in circles. And and all of a sudden, the dog would just come run roaring back in there and swoop at her and run in circles around her. And she, of course, would freak out and run in circles. And she's huge, so she'd almost tear your arm off. But this dog continued to do this until I got to the street where the street lamps were. And all the time, it's just, it's freaking me out. At one point, I switched on my white headlamp, and all that did was make the dog look like a freaking ghost. And then its eyes, you know, are glowing. So, so, so how, let's how, just get into it. Let's how, get so, into it. So what are you am drinking now? Am you, I a witch? No. Am I a witch? No, you're not. I, I, I'd like to think that I'm not responsible for this, but I think it's high time we start thinking about that kind of stuff. I don't well, believe that we, any we'll one know, person. <laughs> What'd you, you say? Mean if we go, if, we, if you had me on the podcast again, so now we're going to lose to Northwestern, then what? Don't you put that evil on me, Ricky? <laughs> <laughs> there are a few things I don't tolerate in life losses to Iowa and losses to Northwestern. Well, you know, Northwestern has been kind of. An unspeakable rival. I it mean, is really, a rivalry. we've had some very close and very good games with Northwestern. I guess Western good is very good in term good in terms of watching football that's close and it gets your heart rate up and stuff. Not good in the fact that we kicked the snot out of them, but you know, people have different terms of what do they think is good football. Well, let, let's jump right to it because uh, we had this conversation at the end of our. Uh, or this discussion at the end of our conversation with Noah uh, from InsideNU.com. And there's always that, you know, that NU versus NU, uh, you know, who's the real NU type of uh, mentality that the fans have heading into this game. And he suggested, or or it, I don't know, Haas, refresh my memory, was it his suggestion or your suggestion that there just needs to be an NU-NU trophy, one side painted, uh, you know, Husker red and, and the other side painted purple. And, and the winner gets to be the real NU for a year until the two teams meet the following fall. I mean, that that's, that was, that was me. Okay. That's what I, I thought. So, I mean, it, it was, it was too good of an idea to come from a Northwestern guy. No, I'm kidding. No, if you're listening, probably um, smarter than we are. Well, yeah. Combined collectively, all three of us. Now, don't hey, you- our, de- our debate team keeps winning the big 10. So screw those people from Northwestern. <laughs> Yeah, a bunch of nerd stuff. Uh, but that's, I mean, John, you've got all, all kinds of contacts in, in all the athletic departments all over the, this great land of ours. 
we could get that. I mean, that'd be a real trophy. That's right up there with the $5 broken chair trophy. It is, and they'd hate it. Of course and, they would. And, and Northwestern, Northwestern would say, we've been in you for like, I don't know, 685 years, and you've been in you for like four. <laughs> I like that. Ex- that's exactly how they would respond. So, so was, was Northwestern around then before or after Oxford? I think they were in spirit. Okay, because you said 684 or whatever years. I'm well, like, you know, exaggerations. Oh, is that maybe what was, that was? Oh, maybe gosh. it was 90. I don't know. So, so. I don't know how. I was trying to think of what Northwestern was when they would, the year they joined the Big Ten. Well, let's find out, shall we? You you guys, uh, uh, Vamp, I, I, I'm on it. Are you? Yeah. We're good. Well, John, how's uh, how's Rotten Sons Minnesota fandom coming along? Well, he was doing okay until Saturday night, and then uh, you know Saturday, and I think he understands where Iowa or where Minnesota fits in the big scheme of things. I mean, they don't have an offense, right? And it kind of mm-hmm. showed. So, and that's that's kind of this is next week, but that's kind of the key. That's the key to the next two games for Nebraska, really. So can we just have your rotten son on the podcast for our Minnesota correspondent? And we'll grill you know, both, both, both of my sons agreed that they would do the podcast if you wanted them to. Excellent. We're so, going to ask them about what it was like growing up with John Dam Johnson. As oh, my God. But uh, anyway, I mean, you know, I started this thing Saturday on Twitter about 40 points a game, and I, it's, it, that's true. I don't think this is I, – maybe I started it before that. Did I talk about it last week? My memory sucks. No, we talked about it after the game. Right. Okay. You know, I, that's football now. I think that, you know, scoring 40 points a game should be what you normally need to do in every game you're going to be in. We're not going to be Michigan State under D'Antonio. We're not going to be Kirk Ferenz where we are constantly punting and kicking field goals. Uh, we're going to score 40 points a game. So and if we can, and we're going to do it to finish six and six. If we, and if we can get that going, if we can get that going, uh, you know, I think we'll be fine in the long run. So Northwestern but, University uh, was founded in 1851 and joined the Big Ten. Was a charter member in 1896. Other charter members, I'm glad you asked, were Wisconsin, Purdue, Minnesota. Illinois and Michigan. <laughs> so everybody else is just a clinger honor. Uh, whatever. In, in, Indiana, honor. Indiana joined in uh, 1899 uh, as well as Iowa. Um, let's see. In order of chrono- chronology, and in chronological order, Ohio State joined in 1912. In 1950, Michigan State joined in. Uh, in 1990, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania, Penn State, duh. Right. Um, in 2011, I think we all know who joined then. And in 2014, Maryland and Rutgers. So there you have it. So it's a it, it, probably the well. We won't go into the Big Ten right now. I was going in again, going to what I should like do. Should I do incantations this weekend? I mean, we talked about sacrificing goats earlier. Obviously, that's not working. Yeah, but did did anybody actually? I mean, was that all talk, or, or did anybody actually put, you know, 
goat on the altar? I mean, th- that's an important question. We can talk about it all we want, but until somebody does it, we don't know if it worked or didn't work. All right, John. There's what? what we need me to do, right? Okay. Yep. What do you need me to do? We need you to go down to the corner liquor store. <laughs> it's 24 pack of Coors Banquet. Oh, jeez. Okay. You got to drink 12 of them before the game and another 12 over the course of the game. You have to eat chili and cinnamon rolls. And you also have to dip some Copenhagen chewing tobacco to reverse this. We're going to lose to Northwestern. <laughs> oh, oh <ooh>. my God. <laughs> the, the, the boast I was going to say is uh, I'll, I'll throw some pork steaks on the grill. Does that count as sacrifice? I don't think so because they're already dead. Yes, but... it does. Okay, good. That, that's well, why I get old, real old testament here. I, I, I really, I really like how you you topped it off with a Copenhagen. Oh yeah. Because if I'm not dead by the time I get to that, you gotta have a you have a jaw full of Tennessee's finest. <laughs> I I ten minutes after doing that, it'll be coming out of both ends. <laughs> well, yeah. After all that beer and chili. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, can, can I can I can I just like uh, I don't know get a cup of my neighbor's blood and <laughs> or just Venmo me like a hundred bucks for drinking money when I'm in Chicago and I'll say that the curse is lifted. I like how you're uh, an easy man. All right, so yeah, I mean since I Hoss, since you brought up chili, I'm going to ask the question: What? I'm one of those guys who you know I I don't even consider making chili until like mid to late October and like there's chili season right I mean you know nobody makes oh, yeah. a pot of chili and so, so what at what what's the temperature threshold for you guys for when chili's a good idea first 55 degree day in October when it's cloudy and cool okay. but here's the thing people in Texas eat chili year round well people hey, in Texas are crazy I've eaten chili in the summertime I mean why not I'm, all I'm, I'm not saying that it's you know illegal to do so. I'm just saying it's not my cup of chili in cup this of chili. case. Um, but you also got to remember, people in Texas are crazy. I like Texans, good people. I'm not saying that they're not good people. I'm just saying they're crazy. I mean, they're they're a little, right? sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, they <laughs> they root for the Cowboys and the Rangers and the Stars and. Yeah, the Cowboys fandom is irritating. I don't hate the actual team. I just don't really care for their fans. What is it? I'm okay, John. This is a question best posed to you because you're the. And this is this is not a joke. You know, I, I know we joke about you know the Korean War and everything else, but you're the elder statesman of you know at least this trio. What what is it about the Cowboys where they are? you know, went, went around calling themselves America's team. Is it because they got the most media exposure at the time? Like, I know, uh, you know, I've I've heard plenty of stories from people who live, you know, like west, you know, from, uh, you know, the, the Mississippi River to uh, the, the Rocky Mountains that, you know, for such a long time, the St. Louis Cardinals were the furthest west baseball team, and you could pick them up on a, on a clear night on KMOX. And so a lot of Cardinals fans – you know, were born out of that because that was kind of the only actual. What is what was it about the Cowboys? Do you happen to recall why? Yeah, yeah, yeah. As the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders. 
Fair enough. Yeah. I mean, yeah, literally, I don't think it has anything to do with the football. I think <laughs> Dallas made themselves America's team when in like 1977 or 1979, they came out with this poster of the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders and it blew up just like Farrah Fawcett did at the time. They knew what they were doing and selling sex on the sidelines. They And here's the thing. They promoted, oh, these are the wholesome girls. They're so wholesome. And then they sold them pretty much as sex objects. And that uh, I think that had as much to do with it as anything they ever did football-related. You know, because you had Tom Landry was the, you know what I mean? It, 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 just like Paul Bear Bryant for years had that hat that he wore. I can't remember what the design is called. You know, Tom Landry oh, on the sidelines. Was it the uh, was it the ten gallon hat? Hogstooth. Hogstooth hat. Yeah, that's it. That Paul Bear Bryant had. You know, Tom Landry was kind of an icon, but I really, you know, you looked at the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders and you went, "Oh, Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders." They were the first. I think they were the first really team to really just go, "Here's sex and look at this." Fair enough. I mean, that that was not the uh, answer I was anticipating, but. Nonetheless, uh, uh, it's the answer we got. So we didn't have a chance, John, to talk. I mean, not, not that we do, that we set it up for, for you know, the latter half of, of the week every week. Um, un- until they win, uh, we're going to keep bringing you back, um, you know, you know, as long as you want to come back. Uh, but what was your takeaway from the Wisconsin game? Because Haas and I both left that game, uh, you know, left watching that game and, and – said as such, you know, in our review earlier in the week, that about as optimistic as we've been, you know, since the Colorado game, watching them, you know, especially watching that offense uh, in the second half. What what was your takeaway from last week of Wisconsin? Well, I think we talked about it last week's podcast, too, when I asked Haas, there's no fixing this defense this season. You know what I mean? And there's not. We're not going to fix this defense this season. We lack too many pieces. Yes. Now, on the offense, you have Adrian Martinez, Maurice Washington, J.D. Spillman, and Stanley Morgan. And between those guys, I mean, you know, if you do misdirection and you do – got to overcome something on the offensive line or at least mix it up enough that we're going to, again, score 40 points a game. We have to score 40. I definitely think that we did. You know, we found a game plan that works offensively against Wisconsin. You know, quick passes, moving routes. You know, we don't have the pass protection to set up vertically deep downfield, but you get guys like Gady Spielman and Maurice Washington lined up against linebackers and coverage, and that's a matchup they're going to win. And if we can just be even serviceable in the running game as a change of pace, and then you got the element of Martinez's running ability. I mean, this offense, like you're talking about, 40 points per game, it can get to that point. It's just got to cut down the stupid penalties that kill drives. Yeah. And the, the problem, there's another problem with that. It's not, it's just not the stupidity. It's, you have to wonder if your reputation precedes you. You know what I mean? We're now the most penalized team in the nation, right? Yes, we are. Take that, Akron. Okay. Okay. And and Frost was – his teams at UCF were as well. well. Yeah, well, when you 
don't you think refs think about that or officials? Do they have any bias in that regard when they go out? Oh, definitely. Um, yeah. One, if your style of play is, you know, conducive to committing penalties, that's in the back of their mind. And when you're an undisciplined team on, you know, like procedural penalties or stuff like, I don't know, I want to say holding, but that's so subjective to different crews, what holding is and is not. It's something that's in, you're not going to get the benefit of the doubt on calls when you're an undisciplined team or you commit a lot of penalties because it's just within your style of play. So it works against you and yeah, it, it hurts us, you know, but got to find a way to play smarter. Let me ask you guys. Yeah, go ahead. I was, you know, talking about that, that tempo style of offense. I feel like, I don't know if it's maybe not implemented until the second half or it just takes that long for it to start working. Correct me if I'm wrong, which I think I just said. I'm sorry if I'm redundant, but is that not? I mean, that's something that should be we should be seeing from opening kickoff, right? I mean, it, it just doesn't seem like we've always seen that that tempo offense. Am, am I missing it? Am I, or is it just not being run as smoothly in early in the games? Well, it. It's kind of a function of early in games, you're still trying to feel out what the defense is doing. So you might go a little bit slower and you're going to do a lot of the check with me stuff and get into the right call based on the defensive alignment that you're seeing from them. And then in the second half, you kind of have, you know, some tendencies that the defense is doing, you know, written down, you're able to go back to them, you're able to make adjustments at halftime and come firing out of the gate, you know, they're doing this, okay. You know, their weak side linebackers staying tucked inside, you know, the three technique in order to, you know, cover against the run, you know, away, you know, towards the trip side. Okay, well, you set your back to that side and you got him out leveraged in the past. He's got, you know, he knows where the back knows where he's going and he's able to get out there before the running back can get out there. But that's stuff that you can also. And maybe it goes back to a case of just a little bit more film study or being more sure of what you want to do right out of the gate in a game where you're prepared, you know this is how they're going to play it, and you prepared it all week and you're going to go run those plays. But it's all, teams often throw wrinkles early in the game, and you kind of got to feel it out for a little bit of time until you find out what they're doing. And one of the biggest things is, at UCF, especially, not so much 17, but 17, Frost always liked to have kind of an exotic play call on drive, you know, drive openers or game openers, first play, the first series of the game, because it gets guys out of position and, you know, maybe they're playing just, you know, some, something a little more base. And you're throwing wrinkles at them just like they might throw wrinkles at you. I know I sound like I'm kind of talking myself, you know, talking out both sides of my mouth saying some play base, some bring out some wrinkles, but it just depends on the defensive coordinator. So if you're going to be predictable early in the game when you're still implementing your full offense and maybe you're just working on the basics, you're going to find yourself really kind of feeling them out. If you got your offense implemented, you can come out and you can throw a you know, curveball play call at them right out of the gate. Uh, that make, I feel like that makes no sense, but that's the best that I can convey it. 
Let me ask you this. <laughs> Maybe, you know, the mental aspect of this is also that uh, they're down at half. And there's, yeah. you know, they, they almost, yeah, a sense of urgency. And I hate to say it, but a sense of desperation. They haven't won a game, you know. Maybe they're just like, shit, we better get going, you know. Well, you know what that reminds me of? Remember back in 2007, last year under Callahan with Sam Keller at quarterback, the offense really couldn't do anything early in games. But when they went two-minute drill at the end of the half to score, I can think of one against Wake Forest that year in particular, the offense would be clicking. And I remember people saying, well, just go to the two-minute drill all the time. You know, run, be up-tempo all the time. And back then, in 2007, everybody thought you couldn't do that all the time, that it wasn't feasible. But then, you know, a year later, Chip Kelly proves to everybody that you can. So maybe it's just a function of, hey, let's just go fast. You know, if you make mistakes early in the game, let's just go fast and get the defense on their heels. Why is it... We've seen a couple of teams do it now and, and haven't seen anything from Nebraska. Trickery, trick plays. I mean, I, how many times have we seen a flea flicker, you know, against mm-hmm. Nebraska? That that didn't always pay off in the end. But, like, I, I don't know. Scott Frost, does he not want to take that chance? Does he feel he doesn't he, need these guys, these These guys are still learning the base to offense. Yeah, that that's exactly what John, you know, what John said. Still learn the basics. It's worth more time and practice because reps are worth their weight in gold to just work on the basics of, you know, the real fundamental concepts of your offense. If you're going to install a trick play when you're still learning the basics, that just takes time away from working on the basics. I mean, I wish we would run something, you know, a little exotic to get defenses out of position early in the game because, like, Tom Osborne in his career – opening drive of the game, it usually involved a play-action pass off of one of our base runs. And it's not a trick play, but it's a nice wrinkle to play upon the aggressiveness of a defense. You know, coming right out of, you know, the start of the game, defense is going to be aggressive. They're going to come downhill against the run. And if, you know, you know that, you play to that to your advantage and you run a play action pass off of it. It's just like if in Frost's offense, you got a weak side linebacker that's just flowing like hell over the top to the front side of the play. Maybe you put a quarterback counter in off of that play, or maybe you run a reverse off of that play just to take advantage of how juiced up linebackers are to come downhill early in the game. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you guys, because that's the, the aspect of, I didn't think about it, but but the aspect of, you know, throwing that into, you know, practice that week, it does. It does take, you know, time off of, you know, the, the, the basic stuff. So I, I appreciate that answer that, that summed it up very nicely. Uh, great work by the both of you. Continue talking amongst yourselves. You guys don't know <laughs> me anymore. Wait, wait what? I thought <laughs> I, I said, I say, continue talking amongst yourselves. You guys don't need me anymore. Oh well, yes, we do. Greg, you're the skipper, man. You're the monster. Otherwise, otherwise, doorknob boy over there is going to say something about me being a witch and goats again. <laughs> well, I mean, come on, man. It fits, doesn't it? 
It does. You know what? I I went out and I read a, an article in the last two weeks about the Salem witch trials. I shouldn't go into caused by moldy rye. I shouldn't. Well, they've debunked that theory. It was just people that were crazy people. Oh, come on. You know, that's not fair to them. Listen, I'll tell you this. They used whatever technology was available to them at the time. Okay? I want you to think about that for a minute. They used scientific methods that they they had the most science that they had at the time, and that's what they went by. So, I mean, you know, maybe I am a witch. Nah. I don't know where I'm going with this. Uh, Here's the thing. We we think that right now with the internet and quantum mechanics and computers and all this stuff that we're the cat's meow. We pat ourselves on the back on how smart we are. A hundred years from now, our, our descendants are going to go, those guys were complete morons. So I don't think I mean, they have to wait a hundred years for me. Well, you know, as a technology wise. Oh, okay. Yeah, my great, we're my gonna, great, great grandson who's coaching football is going to think that his great great grandfather was a moron. Yes, exactly. But okay. we'll we'll know the truth though, Haas. We'll know you were on the up and up. That was just a throw out about witches there. You know yeah, what? Yeah. I mean, let, let's talk about. Hey, it's October. It's it's Halloween season. We can get by with it. I was just I was the let's talk about reminds me of that New York Yankees. Was it the Yankees that press conference where someone asked a player to talk about and then just go, no. Um, yeah. Let's talk about Northwestern. Let's let's inject some hope into this fan base. Hope. Okay. You said what earlier what do I got? You said earlier, and I'll just steal your line. Uh, they like to get into a, what? A, a fist fight, a club fight, a ground fight, rock a fight. rock fight. That's it. Bar fight might not be far off with those. Oh guys. God, yeah, that's terrible. But uh, yeah, they're at least their offense doesn't seem like it's going to score a lot of points on us. I mean, the running game is poopy. <laughs> it's well, reasonably what, poopy. What Noel was saying that. You know, since Kerry Larkin retired from football due to the spinal stenosis diagnosis, wow, that's a tongue twister. Um, they have, you know, a little bit less than serviceable offensive line play coupled with bad running backs. I'm kind of feeling, you know, like those Kevin Bacon direct TV commercials with his fingers crossed, but maybe that means we're not going to see a running back just slashing through our second level at will on Saturday, and maybe we'll be able to keep a little bit of a lid on this offense. Yeah, but at the it same would, time, this is a, a Husker defense that's known for, you know, sending running backs to New York. You know, it's a... We put up some pretty not-safe-for-work numbers against the run. Yeah. Yeah. I, if we can get a push up front, it, that's what it... I sound like a broken record every week, but that's what it all comes down to, you know. What? We can throw the ball around and get Martinez loose, you know, on some quarterback runs, but we're also going to be able to need to establish the tailback running game as well. What is the on uh, on the offensive line situation looking like? I mean, do we know who's you know going to be lining up there to start things off, Hoss? Yeah, it's going to be the same as last week: Hymas, Foster, Farmer, um, Wilson, and Farniak. Where, where I actually thought Gerald Foster didn't play a terrible game against Wisconsin. 
just the, the, the penalties. I mean, even phantom mm. as some of them are. Um, but where, what happened? Did I miss something with Cole Conrad? Is he, is, was his injury a little bit more severe than anticipated? Well, <laughs> or do you think it's a, like, it's a convenient excuse to get the best five on the field? I think he is injured from the Purdue game, but the severity of which I kind of doubt, I think it's more of a convenient excuse, much like last year when Cole Conrad lost his starting job to Michael Decker. Right. And Farmer has some things to work on. You know, he has some low snaps, some late snaps, but if he can get those squared away, he's he's a serviceable center. I mean, he, he can help us get through this year until next year when you got like Desmond Bland coming in or as uh, Greg Austin said today that Scott Frost said that Cam Jurgens could be the next Dave Remington. Oh my God, I can't believe he said that. He's not wrong. He's actually Yeah, but yeah, okay. No, no, no. Dave no. Remington okay. was a You guys weren't even born. Okay. okay. I don't care. You guys weren't even born when Dave Remington played. Dave Remington was he he was the big eight offensive player of the year as a yeah. center. You Maybe don't you won. don't say you don't say a guy's gonna be the next Dave Remington until he the, starts. The, I don't, that's just a loony statement. The you, frame is there, the athleticism is there, the footwork is there, do the you explosiveness think, is there. For, He's got every critical factor except for just the sheer size. He needs to get up around three hundred pounds and knowledge of the blocking schemes which he'll learn this the rest of this year and going into spring ball aside from that he's got measurables critical factors that you can't teach or coach let me let me let me uh, add on here do you think that frost said that in a way not to compare you know proven success in in what remington did and potential in what cam jurgens could do or more, you know, this is their background. They were both, you know, tight ends in high school, athletic guys, and then this is what we hope to turn him into. Uh, I mean, I could see where where he was he was making the 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 that kind of comparison rather than oh no he's he's we're we're gonna rename the the award for the you know the nation's best center the 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 Jurgens the Cam Jurgens Award. I, I I think it could be more along the lines of. Maybe not necessarily like he's going to be the best center of all time at Nebraska, but uh, you know, the similar athletic backgrounds played you know the same uh, position in high school, which was not center, and then went on to a, a position change and and find success there. I I I could interpretate interpretate <laughs> I could <laughs> I could interpret his statements uh, as that instead of you know. Uh, you know, crowning him the next, you know, the next big thing. You know how many yeah, freaking bands? You know how many freaking bands there were in the late seventies that they called the next Beatles? Huh? I, no, how many? I, I, I wasn't seven million. I wasn't alive probably. at the time. Yeah. See, you, John, you're kids. probably shouting them all down as long-haired communists. <laughs> I loved punk rock, man. Okay. <laughs> That does not surprise no. me at all. I, Why I would I? Think, I definitely think Frost was comparing it to the latter of which Greg said, just that the potential's there. I mean, 
that that's one hell of a baseline to work with in coaching up the center. I uh, suppose that, it, but you have to have you have to have one thing that is absolutely required to be that good, and that's luck. And we discount luck. that. Luck is nothing more luck. than preparation and hard. No, work. no, luck is a guy not rolling up on your leg at the wrong time and shit like that when you're it's playing not, on the line. Oh, that's a part of. Yeah, but you know what I mean? How many guys have had to quit because their career's injured, their injuries in their career, stuff like that. That's what I'm saying. I think you to sacrifice another goat to take back what you just said. (laughs) That's it. That's it. Now it's not. You know know what we're doing in our first year of Scott Frost? We're learning our triggers with each other. That's what it is. Freaking young kids these days, you know, when Ronald Reagan stood up and said, I knew Jack Kennedy and you're no Jack Kennedy. It's because he basically meant don't be taking the place of these older guys that have done it until you be bothered to do something. Yeah, that's my old man. Get off my lawn bit. Okay. So basically when we're learning everyone's triggers during year one of the Scott Frost era, Greg, Dr. Greg Mahachko uh-huh. and myself have to run a uh, clinical psychology practice via the Five Heart Podcast all off-season, offering cognitive therapy to fans who have just gotten really triggered. I'm not going to lie. I think that most of our fans need some kind of psycho- psychotherapy to begin with. Um, hey, we, we could have call-ins, you know. We could go live. I don't know how. Oh, maybe we should just, like, Fly over Omaha and drop Xanax. Kind of like bombs. Not I, a bad idea on Saturday yeah, evenings yeah. after losses because I don't know about you. Actually, I think it needs to be something more than Xanax because it's a pretty fucking depressive place Saturday evenings after losses. It, that must be... I mean, some ups around here. I've said this before. Uh, at least the part of Illinois that I've lived in, you know, my whole life, which is the southern part, don't didn't give a rip about Illini football uh particularly basketball you know it, it illinois is always i've always claimed as a as a basketball state but so what i don't see is anybody caring you know like if illinois loses nobody you know but you, because and I, I john i think you worded it perfectly you know last week on on your post you know about about how the football team feeds the ego of the state when the team is down when the team loses even if it's, you know, a nine-win season, when there's that, you know, uh, second, third, or fourth loss of the season, whatever it is, man, it's just a it's – a, it's a depressed state to be in. And, and, and that's not – look, I, mean, I, I get it. We, you know, we take it very seriously. We, we love our Huskers, and we always want them to win. But, you know, like what you guys were saying is – Know, after a loss, it when it's almost a ghost town, and or you know, it's just there. I don't know if it's just a lack of other alternatives or distractions or things to do. I don't know. Um, no, it's because we got that good for that long. We decided that the that the the football would would be the ego of the state. I mean, go back if you went out and read history, college football history, Oklahoma did the same thing. Yep. After. They did when they hired Barry Wilkinson. I think it was 
They consciously said to themselves, if we get a winning football team, people will stop making fun of Oklahoma as, a, you know, the boomer sooner state and the state that nobody wanted to be in and the state full of reservations. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then they, then they were right. Well, like after the NIU loss in 2017, I went up to a bar to get some food and some drinks with a couple of friends of mine. And you would have thought sitting in there watching, I think it was like Alabama and Vanderbilt after we lost to NIU, you would have thought we were at a, a wake for a funeral. And I'm not, you know, saying that, you know, just direct towards other Husker fans. I was probably the most depressive, miserable son of a gun in there. So, uh, yeah. you know, I'm part of it. And, you know, damn, if we're talking about this, we need a win right now. We do. It was Bud Wilkinson. I said Barry Wilkinson, didn't I? The last name is what counts. Uh, yeah, okay. At least you didn't say Bud Switzer. <laughs> <laughs> Barry Fairbanks. So yeah, there you go. All right. So do we want to go ahead and get to our predictions? Yeah, we probably should. Yeah, let's do it. Wrap this up. All right, uh, John. We're gonna let you go first. Oh my God! I haven't even thought about this. Okay, Hoss. We're gonna let you go first. <laughs> no, I'll go first. All right. Well, oh my God! I'm going first. Asian you know, I, I, I can. My God, I can make something up with the best of them. You know what? I'll I'll say that uh, every battle for NU, the the visiting team is won, and I think that'll happen again this weekend, mostly because uh, I really need it to happen, and so does everybody else. Um, you know, I, I think thirty eight points. I'll say thirty eight points. Thirty eight twenty eight. Uh, and we start out with a game with a lead that we never relinqu- relinquish. I like it. I like it. Haas. All right. I thought of this score immediately after the Wisconsin game on Saturday. And it's a weird and wild game every time we play Northwestern. It's the twilight zone of all twilight zone games. I'm going to say that the offense is clicking. We're able to hit our skill guys on the perimeter against linebackers, get the running game going with Divino Zigbo, get Adrian Martinez loose on some designed runs, I'm going to say the game goes to overtime at 31, and Nebraska wins 45-38 in double overtime. That's quite elaborate. I know. It just feels right. I'm going to go with you to an extent. Uh, I'm actually going to pick the same score that I had last week. Uh, Same result that I picked last week, of course, we didn't see. But I'm going to say 45-35 Huskers. Uh, It just... Seems like a, a good day to put up a, a forty burger and uh, and claim that non-existent NU trophy. Hell yeah! All right, that'll do it. That's uh, our takes. We appreciate your takes, and you can share your thoughts with us on various social media platforms available in the links uh, on this post, be it coronation dot com or jitterymonkey dot com. Uh, as always, Hoss. John, it's a it's a pleasure spending uh, an hour or so talking with you guys, and uh, we look forward to it every week, and look forward to it next week as well. I mean, that's a little redundant, but I'm gonna I'm stand by my statement. Hey, Sunday night we record. We're gonna have our first of the season uh, post win five part podcast. Fun story. 
uh, we'll probably be recording Saturday night um, because Sunday night I will be in St. Louis uh, at a live podcast recording. I know it sounds crazy, uh, but one of the early podcasts uh, that I got into, Hollywood Babylon, Kevin Smith and uh, Ralph Garman, they're going to be doing a live show, and I'm going to go with my Nerds United co-host. We're going to go take in the show, and it's going to be I'm, it's going to be such a night. I'm taking Monday off. That's well, I was going to say, would you, because I'll be out on the town drinking enough beer to fill up Lake Michigan after we win. Would you want to record on Monday night? Yeah, we could probably do that. All righty. <laughs> All right. That'll do it for uh, this episode of the five heart podcast. Uh, we thank uh, Noah from inside com. as always a uh, uh, shout outs to uh, my, my colleagues from coordination, John Dam Johnston and Haas Reuter. And we remind you this week and every week that Five Heart is all the heart you need. Go Big Red. Win a damn game. This is a production of the Jittery Monkey Podcast Network. For more jittery shenanigans, go to jitterymonkey.com.